Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Internet Marketing. Brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.co.uk. This is Internet Marketing. Now, before we start today, a bit of shameless self-promotion because Site Visibility has recently published the Ultimate Content Promotion Guide. It's their most comprehensive guide to date, and in it, they break down all of the content promotion tactics, tricks, and tools you'll ever need to help you achieve content marketing success. You can download the guide, plus a handy printable content promotion checklist for free by going to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash ultimate dash content or ultimate hyphen content. Same thing, really. Uh, today, I'm joined by Daniel Gilbert, CEO of Brain Labs. Daniel, thanks for coming on. How are you? Thank you very much for having me. I'm very well, thank you. Good. And uh, you're in London, aren't you, in the UK? I'm currently in London. Our other office is in, uh, in Austin, Texas. So um, I find myself between the two, mostly based here uh, in the Old Street Roundabout. Fantastic. I spoke to a chap from Texas just a couple of episodes ago. He lives right next to the um, the, the the ranch, the uh, the uh, Dallas ranch that used to be on telly. <laughs> right, right, yes. <laughs> Lovely part of the world. It is. It sounds very nice. Yeah, um, fantastic. Now, tell us, tell us about a little bit about yourself and about how Brain Lab started. Well, I started my career at Google, which was uh, a brilliant place to begin a career. Um, uh, a fantastic company. I worked with some brilliant people. Um, uh, but underneath the I suppose, uh, trappings of modern Silicon Valley startups. Uh, it was still ultimately a corporate business. And um, I saw an opportunity when I was there from working with different agencies and advertisers to do the kind of marketing that Google was getting into in a more scientific, mathematically driven way. So I felt that at the time, Google media and what you might call biddable media now was being managed by traditional media agencies who kind of applied some of the old models and ways of thinking about how to buy offline media. And they were doing that in a, in a biddable media context. And I, I thought there was an opportunity to do it better. So I left, I started Brain Labs. Uh, I started on my own. I've moved into my parents' attic to, to start the business. Um, and it's been a, a super fun ride since. And in, in the six years since we started, uh, we've grown to 250 people across the world and uh, with a great trajectory to go even bigger and uh, better. That's really interesting because I, I, I think it's, I mean, Google uh, already uses, I'm, I'm assuming they use uh, quite a lot of algorithms, a bit like Facebook. But but was that not always the case? I mean, what when you left Google, were they sort of not so algorithm centric? I suppose 
there's a couple of different ways of thinking about it. Google gives you the access to their ecosystem uh, and and a set of of advertising, but they don't do it for you. So mm-hmm. you, know, you, you still need agencies and or in-house teams to go and actually um, serve up the advertising on their self-service platforms. So it's not that they weren't particularly algorithmically driven. They just hadn't really been matched by the agencies and, and the in-house teams who were inputting into purchasing the ads from them. Um, you know, another way of thinking about it is in a, in a, in a traditional media type transaction, which is heavily focused on negotiating commercials and space and making sure you target a couple of the right audiences. It's incomparable to a biddable media auction where you could be bidding across trillions of different data points in real time. Mm. So it's one thing for Google to allow you to do that, but then it requires some expertise to actually go and, and deliver that. And that's the bit that I felt was lacking. So it was, you know, Google was very much data driven, test and learn driven organization with, with trillions of data points, but their, their advertisers or the advertising was only going to be as good as what the, the inputs that they could receive were. And that's where I kind of saw the opportunity to kind of take mathematicians um, and teach them how to do marketing rather than what a lot of the agencies were trying to do, which was try and introduce their more traditional marketers into this more mathematical world. Yeah. And so you've grown this business that 250 odd employees across how many continents? Is it mainly the US and Europe? Yeah, most of our business is in uh, the US and Europe, and we've got plans to open in Asia uh, later in the year. Fantastic. And a lot of our listeners, you know, they're, they're people who either own agencies or, or work for agencies. And I wanted to talk about the future of the agency model, I suppose, is probably a, a good way of putting it. I know you've got some interesting thoughts yeah. on this. Um, let's start off with this. Well, I suppose it's a trend, you can correct me if I'm wrong, of, of in-housing. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I thought it's, it's sometimes difficult to separate the noise in the press from reality. Um, so my first uh, advice would be to be always cautious about what you read because there's, uh, you know, stories are stories sometimes just because they're interesting and, and digging beneath it, you have to try and establish what's real and what's not. And I think, you know, as a, as a more general principle, as an agency owner, that is one of the skills of an agency business is to be able to separate what's really, really futuristic and maybe not going to happen and what's real and, and happening and then kind of capitalizing on that with new services and new approaches. Mm. Um, you know, back to the in-housing uh, uh, part. And you know, it feels real and it, it feels genuine. I think there's just a lot of misunderstanding about what it actually means uh, in the sense that it doesn't really necessarily mean one thing to all parties. So to me, you know, or to certain advertisers, let, let's say traditional corporates, in-housing might just mean as something uh, as simple as I want to own my own data and I want to have direct contractual relationships with Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Snapchat, and so on and so forth. Uh, and I want to have a relationship with each of those. And, you know, that's one version of in-housing. I'm not saying it's wrong or right. It's just, it's very different from their current setup where the media agency is the intermediary that, that, that buys and sells all of their media and has all of those relationships. Um, so for some people, that's, you know, what in-housing is. It doesn't necessarily mean that they want to manage all of the campaigns and execute all of those campaigns, report back on them and, and you know, layer tech a, a across the, the top of it. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, which is why you know a, a spectrum is a more useful way of thinking about it rather than this kind of binary, am I in-house or agency-driven? You know, at the other end of the spectrum, there are teams that entirely own all of the 
management of campaigns and execution reporting, so on and so forth. But they still come to agencies like us, for example, to check in on their strategy once a quarter Mm. uh, or to do interim management when their team changes or to consult on other kind of projects for hiring and recruitment or to buy pieces of technology. So there are, you know, there are, there are nuances to each side of the, the spectrum that are worth kind of factoring in before kind of listening to the polarizing type of language that you might listen to directly in the press that says, oh, this person is in housing or this person is that is given up on in housing and so on and so forth. Um, and as, as agency owners or as agency businesses, if that's part of the audience and, and likewise, you know, it's, it's, it's relevant for in-house uh, for client side people as well. You know, it's understanding that both have a role to play in each of those. And um, as long as you add value respectively to the businesses that you're working with, then that's, that's basically what an agency business should do is, is be a partner to, uh, to clients and, and add value where they can add the most value. And that's a pretty sustainable business model. Yeah. I also wanted to talk about technology because uh, I was reading a blog post you did about uh, sort of, I think it was called Adapt or Be Crushed by the Fourth Industrial Revolution. It was admittedly a couple of years ago, but it, it's still a very interesting read today. And you were talking about not just agencies, but, you know, sort of tech industry or organizations in general. And uh, I think the quote that really stood out to me was in the last 60 years, the average lifespan of a large organization has dropped from 60 years to just 18 years. I think that was 2008, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when we look at um, the role of technology there, I'm just, when I mean, you mentioned big data as well, but I'm just wondering if you had a crystal ball, how do you see agencies evolving in the next, I don't know, five, 10 years? I think it probably comes back to, to the end of my last point, which is you know, the agencies that find ways to add value to the organizations that they work with will survive and thrive. And um, when you think about what agency businesses are, they're, they're fundamentally groups of talent that are organized in a specific way with processes and systematic ways of tackling problems. And as long as they tackle the right problems and they're smart enough to add value to their client businesses, um, you know, they will, they will not struggle. Uh, you know, what are the areas specifically that we're likely to chase? Well, it's going to be in the data, the technology, the AI, and um, the bits that are the most difficult are always going to be the areas that one is likely to add the most value. Uh, and I think that's where agency businesses can come in because they're, they're driven by hungry people that have a view of uh, multiple markets, which is where development really happens. Um, uh, and they have the, the, the opportunity to be a bit more experimental with a wider view across markets. And, and as long as they can turn that into systematic ways of approaching problems then then they can add value to clients um who can't probably test as many things gdpr is a is a big buzzword it was certainly was a buzzword last year it's probably slightly less of a buzzword now but how do you see that panning out in the future kill. that's what it is well do you i mean that, i was going to come to that point do you see it as a as a good thing or a, or a bad thing yeah i too i find it as a positive andy and um you know, it was a bit like a Y2K. It was at the end of advertising as we knew it yeah. uh, with GDPR. But if anything, I think it's better that it's, it's defining a bit more clearly how one should protect users. And I think what we'll eventually get to, and this is kind of a stepping stone towards it, is, you know, not just user consent, but user involvement um, uh, in the ecosystem. So, you know, there's a lot of different people working on this, and there's a couple of, of tools that have kind of come out in this space. Uh, whose names I can't recall immediately, but it always strikes me that, that you know, someone for me personally, and I'm sure that other people fall into this bracket, 
as someone who enjoys free internet services like Google and Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and so on and so forth, I appreciate that there's some cost to putting that together. And I understand, obviously, because what I do, that some of that comes from advertising. Yeah. Now, if I were asked to fill out um, you know, individual uh, internet passports or profiles of information that I didn't mind if it was used in my advertising, I'd be a lot more up for that than the kind of messy way that a lot of those companies currently gather and buy data on me um, to kind of infer information about me to the extent that when you start checking what Google thinks about you, you know, I, I might equally be a 55-year-old woman um, uh, based on some of the music that I listen to, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, actually, I think it's, it's, you know, I think we'll shift uh, gradually, particularly with the next generation just being more comfortable uh, sharing information to this kind of model where it's opt-in and, and deliver it rather than, than kind of, you know, gathered secretly in the background and inferred in some instances. Um, so GDPR, you know, I think has a role to play in that and, you know, has set out some boundaries to make sure that companies are more responsible about the way that they gather data. Mm. Um, from an advertising perspective, um, you know, when advertising on behalf of clients, I, I'd rather know upfront that the data has been collected correctly in its actual data rather than inferred or sold or exchanged data that we're not so sure about where it's come from. Let's move on to talent now, and, and I suppose specifically talent acquisition or cultivation within the uh, organization. What are your feelings about that in the next couple of years? The talent game is changing at the same time. And I think you know, there's a lot of studies from Deloitte about what millennials want. And I know it's not the most popular term and perhaps it's not the most useful categorization of, of people. And I'm probably one of them, depending on how you define. But I think um, you know, the things that, that this generation or as the workplace has evolved, the things that people want have have definitely changed. And I think you can even recognize that very closely in the expectation around what a career looks like, which once upon a time might have been, I'm going to work in this one place uh, and, and climb up that corporation for the rest of my life. Um, and people did that. And, and my grandparents' generation, that was certainly the case. Mm. Um, these days, actually, you know, people value and care about things like career mobility and movability. They care about the purpose of the company, about the ethics of the company, um, uh, about the impact on the wider community. Uh, on the initiatives that bring people together so that people can have friends at work. And it's become more of an extension of, of everyday life, I think. Uh, you know, less so than, than just pushing towards paying down a mortgage, which these days is in, in the UK in particular, um, is, is a further away dream for people when they're first starting their careers. So I think as a, as an employer, as an agency business or as a client business, that's the bit that we need to tap into to, to really understand what motivates people and how um, you know, how they can grow in organizations and what are the important measures to put in place there. Um, you know, I see a lot of businesses lamenting, um, you know, workers that they think are lazy or, um, you know, unmotivated and et cetera, et cetera. But really, the owners have to switch back onto uh, the employer to work out how to get the best out of people and, and how to, you know, put them in an environment where they can excel, you know, and, and development, feedback, you know, an open, transparent type of culture, an ethically positive one. Uh, a business for good, as we call it, is good for business. Yeah. Well, Daniel, we've spoken about quite a few things today. What do you think our listeners should be thinking about as they leave this episode? Well, it's, uh, I, I, there's, there's millions of things from different, depending on who they are and what they do and, and where they are. You know, I think even just just picking up on the very last point is is that you know I truly believe that. Um, there is no conflict between being a good business uh, or between doing good and being a good business. I think the two actually now in the world and the ecosystem that we live in are almost inextricably linked. And the more good that you do 
because the business the more kind of comes back your way. Uh, and likewise, on a on a personal level, um, you know, we used to have this uh, this concept that you couldn't uh, uh, you couldn't succeed if you were a nice person. And yeah. you know, the world has changed so much that I don't think nice guys finish last anymore. Um, uh, so all of us can do our bit to kind of contribute to the ecosystem, to contribute to the to the wider world, and, and that leads to more career opportunities and more success. So good luck with that. Well, Daniel, thanks so much for coming on. How can our listeners find out more about you and uh, more about Brain Labs? I am quite active on LinkedIn. So linkedin.com forward slash Daniel Gilbert one, I think it is. Uh, from there, you can find my Twitter, which I'm not as active on, but um, uh, contribute there. And then the, the, the Brain Labs website is brainlabsdigital.com. Uh, we put regular updates and content on there uh, on all things performance marketing and wider industry strategy. Fantastic. Thanks, Daniel. And thanks for listening, everyone. These show notes will be in the usual place, sitevisibility.co.uk slash podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review. That would be great. Questions and suggestions to podcast at sitevisibility.co.uk. You can tweet us at sitevisibility. Uh, we have a site visibility group on LinkedIn. That's all from me, Andy. And it's all from Daniel. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for coming on, Daniel. And we'll see you next time on Internet Marketing. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market